0: Hello, everyone. My name's Karen Sims. Welcome to the podcast, My Cousin Has That, the podcast on autoimmune biggies, lupus, type 1 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, and Sjogren's disease. We have an apology from... Associate Professor Joshua Uwe, he has a very important meeting this afternoon, apparently more important than recording with us, but that's okay. (laughs) It's all right though, it's all right because we have Senior Clinical Development Coordinator Dr Julie Monk here, who's always been here, and she works with Josh, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her job and how that fits in with Josh's research.
1: Thanks Karen. So my role is to help Josh and his team translate the therapy that they're developing in the lab, translate it into a clinical trial, which we hope to get up and running in one to two years. So I joined Josh at Monash University about 18 months ago now and it's been an excellent opportunity to pursue.
0: Great. So you hope to be working with humans in... One to two years. Mm -hmm. Humans
1: rather than mice.
0: Right. Okay. I'm a a much bigger fan of humans (laughs) than I am of mice. And we have two amazing guests this afternoon. We are so lucky. We are blessed to have Arda Sibilia and Renza Sibilia. And the same last name is not a coincidence. They are mother and daughter. And just to prove that autoimmune diseases love running in the family, they're... um, high achievers in the autoimmune disease world. Renza has type 1 diabetes, and she's going to talk to us about that. And Ada has lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and Sjogren's. And she's also going to talk about her health journey, amongst all other wonderful things that they do with their lives. So welcome, Renza and Ada. Thank Thank you. you. Renza, Could we start with you? Sure. Can you tell us about your type 1 diabetes journey, please?
2: Sure. Well, I was diagnosed 25 years ago. I had my 25th anniversary just two weeks ago. Oh, thanks for the invite to your 50th, by I, the way. I will invite you to that. <laughs> It's not until the end of the year. And and yes, it was a celebration because I think we should celebrate these things. I was diagnosed at 24, as I said, completely out of the blue. There's no type 1 diabetes in our family, which is often the case. About 80% of people with type 1 diabetes don't have a family member with Mm it. We just get to win the jackpot there. For some reason, I decided after three years of living with type 1 diabetes that it would be a good idea to work in diabetes as well. That was going to be a six-month gig, and 22 years later, I'm still working in diabetes organizations, and I also work as an advocate and an activist outside of my day job in diabetes, and I write about diabetes. But hey, my life isn't just about diabetes, but uh, that's a bit about the type 1 diabetes journey. Sure.
0: So... Luckily for anyone with diabetes and their families, you have been and will be a brilliant advocate for the type 1 diabetes world. Um, Your writing is amazing. um, And it's also to get a good paid gig as well in something that you love and you're very good at. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. You're a lot more than diabetes, just as we are all a lot more than our illnesses or our shoe size or whatever it might be. Okay, what are your five top things that you do in addition to having type 1 diabetes? Okay, five top things. Well, I drink a lot of coffee. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> yeah. I bake.
2: Oh, yeah. you are a fabulous baker. People often think it's really weird that somebody with diabetes spends so much time baking and I just tell them to mind their own business. Well, actually, we might
0: focus on yeah, that because let's.
2: what a silly thing for people to right. say. I know. Yeah. I spend a lot of time in New York. Mm-hmm. And I have to include in there that I have the most incredible family. <laughs> I have my wonderful husband Aaron, who's a jazz musician, so I spend a lot of time listening to jazz. And I've got an eighteen-year-old daughter Poppy, who is an absolute delight and wonderful. And hey, I've got to say, I know we're not talk- we're talking about things that are outside of diabetes, but having had a kid while living with type one diabetes remains the most incredible achievement ever, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And anybody who does that. My God, we deserve medals. We deserve these beautiful babies at the end, but we also deserve medals and tiaras and ticker tape parades. Please. You
0: really do, and I'll get those organised for you. Thank you very much. But in the meantime, yes. I agree with you in terms of having a child and also having type 1 diabetes. Do you mean the conception and the pregnancy and the child raising?
2: Yeah, all these things. But, I mean, yes, all of them. But a pregnancy 18, 19 years ago with diabetes before we had the sort of tech that's now readily available was a hard gig. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of
0: staying healthy for you. Yeah, and -hmm. just
2: the the monitoring and healthy for the baby as well. Mm -hmm. So there were no continuous glucose monitors like we have now. So Mm -hmm. now everyone with type 1 diabetes in Australia has access to subsidised continuous glucose monitoring. You wear a monitor, usually on your tummy or on your arm, means you don't need to prick your fingers a million times a day. And I was doing that like 25, 30 times a day Mm -hmm. while I was the whole way through the pregnancy, because we know that keeping glucose levels in a really tight range means the best outcome for mum, best outcome for the growing, developing Mm -hmm. baby. These days, it's still a hard gig having type one and being pregnant, Mm -hmm. but the technology does make it just a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And
0: even deliveries, which might go for half an hour to 48 hours or 72
2: yes. hours, you know. Or 30 minutes yeah. if you have a caesarean, which is yes. what I did. Okay. Um, but yeah. even there, you know, being able to have the technology attached to you and being able to still monitor it or have, if there's someone in the room with you, then being able to monitor it, yeah. it makes things
0: certainly yeah. easier. You can't just press stop and say, have new diabetes, be, yeah, yeah, no. I won't
2: be a type 1 diabetic while I'm delivering this baby. No, but if researchers could find a way for that to happen mm. and, you know... For other reasons as well. Yes, that would be great. Yeah. Maybe that's
0: where Josh is this afternoon.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Doing that. <laughs> we would
0: be very impressed.
1: Yeah. I'm um, curious, were you advised not to have children? No,
2: I no. wasn't. But it was probably the first question that I was asked the day that, sorry, that I asked the day that I was diagnosed. I remember saying to the endocrinologist, can I have kids. I was engaged. My fiance sitting next to me, I think mum was there as well. Yeah, I there. Yeah. And I said, can I still have kids? I didn't even know that I wanted to have kids, I'll just say at that point. And his only piece of advice was, yes, but by the time you're 30, I was like, oh my God, I'm 24 and a half and I've got to buy a house and I don't know what I want to do with my life and right. yeah. I don't know what I want to do with this and and I want to go traveling and how am I going to do that? But, and that was the only piece of advice Did that he say gave me. why 30? Just That was his It was his cutoff thing and Mm. thankfully, I learned that that wasn't necessary and ended up with the most incredible endocrinologist who I still see, who it was, you know, all about making sure that it was the right time for me and that I was as healthy as I could possibly be and a whole lot of other factors. And yes, of course, as you get older, being pregnant does, Mm. you know, there are additional challenges and diabetes then throws more on top of that. But there wasn't this ticking of Mm, I'm going to get to thirty, and then I've lost all opportunities.
3: Your your first uh, endocrinologist was very old school though. He was, was. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that that made a difference. But even with what you were meant to eat and everything else, it was ridiculous. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. We must get onto the restrictive diets too that people think you have to have. We'll talk about that. Yes, we will. Ada, so lovely to
3: meet you. Thank Thank you you. for coming out on
0: this freezing cold day.
3: Could you please tell us a little bit about your health journey? Okay. Okay. Now, I was having a lot of issues with my joints when I was maybe in my mid-20s. I'm now 72, so it was quite a long while ago. And I was playing sport. I was playing netball and I thought it was just a sport injury. So I went to my GP. And it was funny because quite often I'd have these sort of pains. And then by the time I got round to making an, an appointment, they'd gone. So I wouldn't have bothered. So, but I did go in with one of the kids for a, they had a cold or something. And and I told him that I almost came in to see you. And he said, oh, I don't like the, light of the sound of that. So, I had some blood tests. But with lupus or with rheumatoid arthritis, it's no particular test that actually says, oh, yes, you've got this or you've got that. They're just a whole lot of little markers. Mm-hmm. So, um, he said, look, I don't like the result of your blood test. So, he referred me on to a rheumatologist who was very condescending and sort of said, oh, you've got rheumatoid arthritis in inverted commas. Well, I didn't know what these inverted commas <laughs> yeah. are. but yeah. um, So I asked him and he said, look, you don't need to worry yourself and basically patted me on the head and say, <laughs> said, go away and we'll look after you. So, you know, I was 27, 28 mm-hmm. and I sort of thought, I didn't really stand up for myself then. So you kind of th- think, you know, you're a specialist, you know what you're doing well. I wasn't getting any better and Mm -hmm. I had a couple of flare-ups where I was really quite unwell and I had these two young children and I was working, so everything was just getting too much. So I went back to him and he said, look, we'll try you on cortisone. And he gave me this really high dose of cortisone that I couldn't get out of bed. Right. And it was terrible. Like, he didn't give me it. In those days, I think especially as a woman, they just didn't think that you needed to know. Mm And um, so, I did actually change doctors and I went to a woman a rheumatologist who I had for over 40 years and she was fantastic. And she said, yes, it looks like lupus, but, you know, we'll just have to start treating it. And over the years, you know, you keep getting flare-ups, and but it's there all the time. And then I was finally diagnosed when I had enough markers, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you need to get, oh, I can't remember how many markers, but... Um, yeah, so that's basically how the um, lupus started and then oh, maybe 10 years in, I was getting a lot of dryness in the mouth and this uh, rheumatologist I was going to said, oh, look, oh, and I was actually part of another Monash mm-hmm. uh, study, a mm-hmm. Monash University study, and uh, the person that was doing that study said... By the blood test, you're going to end up as your main disease will be Sjogren's rather than lupus. And it actually did work out that way. So they could actually tell that from the blood test okay. um, about 30 odd years ago. Okay. So it's been really quite interesting there. So that would have been when I was maybe closer. To thirty eight or something like that. So the disease is there, but really, it's it's the way you manage it that actually um,
0: gets you through. Good. We'll talk about that. But there's a few good messages there. So find a good doctor.
3: Absolutely, and shop around Whether
0: male or female, and if anyway you are patronised or patted on the head or given a gigantic dose of something which renders you non-functional, go to somebody else. Yes, absolutely. Whether they're male or female, go to somebody else. And, I mean, let's hope we've passed the days of, you know, of, um, oh, you know, you're a bit busy with those little kids, you know, just have a bex and lie down. (laughs) It's incredibly (laughs) condescending to treat people like that. Yeah, okay,
3: you're very brave. Yeah. And I think also when you're younger, you don't stand up for yourself. I wouldn't stand up for that now. But when you're in your 20s and we were brought up to sort of I suppose, doctors. Respect, respect doctors and especially specialists, well, you know, they just know as much as anyone else and as much as... Yeah, you know, well, they're, they're, know. Flawed. they're, they're yes.
0: flawed, just like yeah. everybody else. Yeah. But they still shouldn't be patronising. Yeah,
3: and I think that people really have to stop accepting that what one person says to them is necessarily the right thing. You have to see what's suitable mm. for you. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll
2: just add that at 20, I wasn't like that. <laughs> no, no, no. I did go doctor shopping. Yeah, but it was a different, different time. Generation. Yeah. Different generation. Yes. Different generation and also... I'd been taught by you. Yes. yes. You know, Definitely. you had the wisdom of years of an autoimmune condition under yes, your belt, that's true. and that he's been my model of yes, how yeah. to
0: to beautiful. deal with mine. Yeah, beautiful role model.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to comment on the power of language. It was interesting hearing you say out of the doctor describing your blood results as what was it? They look inverted commas. Inverted commas. Also, the description of the blood tests and yes. Yeah, yes that looks a bit nasty, we better send yes. you on. Yeah, and yeah. It's just, yeah, being very conscious about the language you use in front of patients.
3: Yeah, well, I suppose the, the GP that I had at that time, which was great, he wasn't, Originally a good GP, but he went off the tracks a bit then. <laughs> but then yeah, we won't go into that. But he realised that he wasn't confident to t- treat it. So he, mm. he referred you on to someone that was meant to be a, yeah. an expert. Well, he wasn't. And they, they'd say things like, oh, look, we have meetings at the end of the week, so we'll discuss you. So you're not important. Yeah, just put yeah. you on the and corner. Item. Yes. Yeah. And we'll look after you. Well, mm. you know, you're not looking after mm. me. You're just, you know, disregarding me completely, really. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully nobody yeah.
0: would get away with yes. that now
3: and it didn't matter
0: how old the patient was. Yeah. So I think you're very brave, Arda. think you What other things do you do? Well, <laughs> tell well, me about I'm yourself. Well, I'm
3: retired now, so not that much, but I worked until I... I was 70, so about two and a half years ago. And I had a job where I was interacting with a lot of people. I worked for a large union originally as an organiser. And then I went into the work cover where I helped people with their work cover and also I was a women's officer. So I helped women with issues like sexual harassment and bullying at work and that sort of stuff. I mean, men do have that too, but it's, I dealt mostly with women. And now actually with COVID and everything, I retired on the Friday and we started lockdown as on the Monday, oh, so two for two know. and a half years there wasn't much that we could do. But it's just been taking me a while to kind of get moving and to do something. We haven't done any travelling because I think we were still a little bit afraid of travelling because being the age I am and with COVID still raging, I'm still a little bit tentative because... I think when you've got autoimmune diseases, and I've been very fortunate that I haven't had COVID, but if you do get COVID, I think that the um, outcome could be a lot worse than maybe it won't be, but you know. You don't know, you know for you don't sure. Know. But
0: I, yeah, I think, I mean, COVID, the concept of lockdowns yes. and COVID rocked everybody. Yes. Yes. You had additional concerns, completely yeah. valid additional yeah. concerns.
3: Well, we have sort of weekends away, but within the state, so I haven't quite ventured over yeah, uh, the borders you. yet, mm-hmm. but uh, hopefully over uh, our winter I will go up north yeah. like we usually yeah, give do. give it a try. Yeah. But
0: yeah, so you always have to be aware of your health with whatever Well, well I do.
3: Yeah, I think you do. Even at the back of your mm-hmm. mind you kind of think, you know, if I do that, are there going to be consequences? It's not something that you think of every day. But if you're going to plan something, you kind of think, you know, is it going mm-hmm. to, you know, what's yeah. the outcome mm-hmm. going to be? Definitely. And do you yeah. get tired? I do get tired. Mm-hmm. I think but that's part of the disease as well. And then that's an underlying thing that's there all the time, basically. But then you get flare-ups mm-hmm. in between. Like I usually get a flare-up. Mine tends to be in autumn. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people with lupus seem to have a flare-up in spring. Well, that's what I'm told mm-hmm. anyhow. I don't mm-hmm. normally get one in spring, but quite often at the beginning of the autumn, I end up with quite a, a bad flare-up when it's really difficult getting out of bed and stuff like so that. So it's fatigue but, and pain? Yeah, yeah the pain, pain. In, mainly in the joints and okay. things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate that I haven't had any major organ involvement, which can quite often happen apart from with the sherwins, and I ended up having to have all my teeth removed and had implants because of the dryness. Right. And that's something that's quite common. I had my the implants done maybe 10 or no longer, maybe 12 years ago, and the technology wasn't really fantastic in Australia. Mm-hmm. In, the day. in America, it was a lot better. And I did find out and, and ended up with a really good specialist that did a fabulous job. But that's quite common with people with sugars because the mouth gets so dry right. that uh, there's no saliva produced and so you end up with very bad um, rotted Intercodes teeth. It decays the yeah. teeth, yeah. 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 Wow. Thank
0: you for sharing. Renza, can we talk about the current treatments for type 1 diabetes? Yeah. So you mentioned CGM, yep. continuous glucose yes. monitoring. Can you tell us a bit about PUMPs? Yeah. Let's start though with yeah. the absolute basics.
2: Sure. So you have to take insulin if you have type 1 diabetes.
0: Because your pancreas is no longer exactly. producing insulin. Right?
2: Exactly. So we're going to talk about that. Let's just talk about that with type 1 diabetes. There are types of type 1 diabetes. There's LADA, which is latent autoimmune diabetes in adults, which is also an autoimmune condition and it ends up that you will need to take insulin, but some people diagnosed with LADA might not need insulin at first. But we're talking type 1 diabetes here. And so we're just going to say for purposes here that everyone with type 1 diabetes needs insulin. So if there's anyone listening who wants to tell me to start eating a keto diet, and that's going to mean that I can be weaned off my insulin Go away. Go away because, because you are wrong. You are wrong and you're annoying me. Yeah, okay. Just, just thinking listening. it as mm-hmm. you're listening to me is yep. annoying me.
0: Yep. And um, we know
2: where to find you, so what? You can you. find me and tell me that to my face, and I can respond. <laughs> So insulin is the first bit that we need to talk about and you have to give yourself insulin by injecting it because we can't take it orally because it gets destroyed as we're trying to digest it. So you either inject it using a pen or a syringe or an insulin pump. doesn't matter how you choose to. Hopefully it's a choice, but this is what people do. So I use an insulin pump. And also part of type 1 diabetes management is monitoring glucose levels because everything affects your glucose levels. There's a fabulous list that was created by an amazing advocate from the US called Adam Brown, who lives with type 1. And on this list, there are 42 things that impact your glucose levels. Mm -hmm. So. I think in the past there's been this idea that it's just such a simple equation. It's energy in, energy out. Mm -hmm. However many carbs you eat, that's how much insulin you need to take. But there are so many other factors that we Mm -hmm. need to consider. So things that you would expect like activity levels, you know, obviously what it is that you're eating, the timing of the food that you're eating, but also, you know, what sort of carbs you're eating. Mm -hmm. But also other nutrients in food will affect. So fat will also impact. But it's also things like... Can you believe things like the weather? Because oh, yeah. absolutely, that can impact hormones. So for people who menstruate, oh my gosh, that's a really fun thing to have to deal with. Going through perimenopause, I'm learning that there are lots of new things that now you know seem to, for no reason, be impacting my glucose levels. Mm-hmm. So there's heaps and heaps of things. Stress, lots. This this list is you know remarkable, and it. Add, you know, It really goes away, I guess, to explaining the complexity of managing diabetes. It's not just about measuring your glucose levels, giving yourself insulin and thinking about what you're eating. So when we talk management, we do seem to talk about this in a really, these are the physical bits and the technology that goes into it, but it's more than that. There's also thinking about how your mental health is impacting because that absolutely sure. is a big part. And mm-hmm. that that includes things like, you know, feeling robust enough just to do diabetes today Mm -hmm. and how you feel. And because burnout and distress are very
0: real for a lot of people. Because it's a full-time permanent project. It
2: is. It is. It is relentless. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm always really mindful when I'm talking about this because I don't want anybody to think that I'm sitting here going, Whoa is me and my life is really hard. But actually diabetes is hard. Diabetes does suck. You know, there's no nice way to put it. Diabetes Is a challenge, and Mm. that doesn't mean that I sit in a corner and weep and think I don't do anything because I do do lots of things. But there are moments where diabetes is so present that I have to stop, I have to stop and treat my low blood sugar. I can't drive right now, Mm, I like you know, I can't think straight, and I'm in a meeting or I'm about to get on the stage and give a presentation, and my blood sugar is tanking you know, Mm -hmm. all of these sorts of things. So, management. Of diabetes is great in that there are lots of options, and I'm talking about us living here in Australia. We're incredibly fortunate, and we have access, and we've got subsidies and all sorts of things. Sadly, that's not the case in a lot of places mm-hmm. globally. But there are great tools, and the thing that I would say to anybody with diabetes is make sure you're using the tools that work for you. Mm-hmm. Right device, right person, mm-hmm. right time. Yep. That's the you know a really
0: valuable thing to think so about. So people could investigate the options, yeah. find a empathetic endocrinologist who can yep. go through the options with people, maybe try one and see if it works for your lifestyle or your you know way of thinking and then perhaps try something else. Yeah, It's good now that there are a couple of options. Yeah. yeah.
2: And talk with other people with diabetes. Mm-hmm. My gosh, that's the thing that I really wish people were told at diagnosis was connect with others living with this condition because that peer support I know for me has been life-changing. It's and learning from other people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. who who get the real life, you know, mm-hmm. the real life stuff. Yeah, you know, we can be told all of the things in the textbook, but the realities of type one diabetes are very, very different.
0: Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. and so you know, deepest, darkest Africa, yeah, diabetes management would be different. Different, that's for sure. Yeah, very, very different. Yeah, you know, so we high mortality rates.
2: Yeah. I was
3: just going to just pick up on uh, Renz's uh, comment there that we are very fortunate that we live in Australia mm-hmm. because we do have access to very good... I mean, not every, unfortunately, a lot of people find it very hard financially. But you know, the public health system is very good. We are blessed. In, yeah. Yes, mm. uh, and I know it's harder in the country areas as well. We're in the uh, sort of in the main city, so. But I often think about other countries where people don't have the same mm. access that we have, mm. and it must be so difficult because if you have a chronic disease, it is very that, difficult to right. live with sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure.
2: I was speaking with somebody recently who was telling me and she lives in an African country and that it's an eight-hour one-way trip to the clinic to, res- to get her insulin. She's mm. got type 1 diabetes. So again, mm-hmm. not negotiable. Yeah, And not only not negotiable, not, oh, well, I can't be bothered doing this today. I'll do it tomorrow. Mm. If you need insulin, you need it now. Yeah. And this is the reality. You yeah. know, having access to the basics, which is insulin – and glucose monitoring devices are not
1: universal. universal. They're absolutely not.
2: And diagnosis is another thing. You know, there is so many... And we hear this here in Australia. So, we're hearing in Australia where we have a health system that is set up with diabetes clinics to diagnose people with diabetes and yet we know that there are missed and misdiagnoses of type 1 diabetes happening all the time. Mm -hmm. But we hear so frequently that people are simply not being diagnosed in a lot of places and they
0: die. Yeah, which is
2: devastating.
0: Are they diagnosed with something incorrectly or just not diagnosed at all? A bit of both. A bit of both. Yeah. Of both. yeah. While we're on that, mm-hmm. why don't we talk about some of the symptoms? Yeah. I'll start and then when I run out, you can help <laughs> me. me. Jump in. Okay. So, frequent urination. Yeah. Excessive thirst. Very hungry. Yeah. Weight loss. Mm-hmm. Thrush in the back of the throat. Yeah. Yeah. Thrush anywhere. Like, Th- thrush also, anywhere. Yeah. yeah okay. In general area thrush as well. anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Can you keep going? i am run out. Yeah. So, the four T's
2: that we talk about all the time are thirsty tired i've set it out out a like toilet tired thirsty thinner mm-hmm. okay so the things that you mentioned. So tiredness is also in there as well. And we kind of think probably we should add the fifth one, which is thrush, because Mm -hmm. that's often how people are diagnosed, recurrent thrush, and that's what's picked up. These are the main symptoms of type 1 diabetes. So I just want to keep reiterating, we're talking type 1, because type 2, there are more people living with type 2 than type 1, and a lot of people with type 2 diabetes don't have any symptoms at all. So Mm -hmm. they're often walking around with silent, undiagnosed type 2 diabetes for seven or more years often. Mm -hmm. But let's pivot back to type 1. So a lot of people, you will hear that they have this very acute sort of period where symptoms are really, really acute. And that was my experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For some people, it might not be quite that obvious, Mm -hmm. but they are certainly the main symptoms that people will report. Right. And
0: that could be picked up by a urine test? Yes. And then would probably be followed up by a blood test?
2: Yeah. So we hear stories of misdiagnosis here in Australia all the time especially in adults. So let's just get one, because I'm all about myth busting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's get rid of number one. Mm -hmm. Type 1 diabetes is not only diagnosed in kids and adults. And yet every single time, and I would urge anyone who's listening to this, go back and have a read of articles about type 1 diabetes in the news because it will frequently say it's most often diagnosed in children and adolescents. 50% 50% of diagnosis of type 1 diabetes is in adults,
3: mm-hmm. okay?
2: And, hey, the kids grow up as well. So, yes, that's the exactly good news story. right? Adults, so, they become yeah. adults. So, we need to stop thinking of this as a childhood disease yes. or a childhood condition because that's one of the reasons that so often adults who are being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes are not diagnosed straight away. Yeah, yeah. They think yeah. it's everything else. And we hear these stories of... I went back to the GP half a dozen times before mm. anybody bothered to do a glucose check. Like, yeah. you know, got dipped a glucose stick yeah. in sticking my urine. Yeah. 30 seconds. Uh, exactly. So, yes, that or a finger prick check. Anything like that will show either there's glucose in the urine and you better do something about that. Or if you do a finger prick check, an instant, on the spot, glucose check, and you've got elevated glucose, again, do something about it straight away. Because otherwise, people wind up very, very sick in mm-hmm. DKA, mm-hmm. diabetes, ketoacidosis, which is very serious, very, very serious. And
0: and that can lead to a coma and death. Can,
2: yes, mm-hmm. it can be fatal. Mm-hmm. And there's no need for that if people, the second that they go to a GP with anything really,
0: yeah. do just, a just test. do a
2: wee test. Mm. It takes nothing. And it will suggest if there's anything that needs to be investigated further yeah. quickly. Sure. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that comes back to language as well, because yep. I know growing up, it was juvenile diabetes. That's yes. what you called yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And type two was the adult onset diabetes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, what I didn't go through medicine, but I taught medical students when I was doing my PhD and Mm -hmm. that's how it was described then and that's 20 years ago. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. Still is. Mm. Yeah,
2: And it keeps getting name changes. So for a while it was idem and nidem, so insulin dependent diabetes mellitus or non-insulin dependent. But again, there are a lot of people with type 2 diabetes who need insulin. Mm -hmm. So type 1, type 2, we need to understand the differences, need to understand the similarities, need to understand that they're all Yuck, and they're all serious. <laughs> mm-hmm. But with type one diabetes, it's been interesting. I was working at Diabetes Australia, and we went, ran this great campaign called the Four Ts, and it was about getting people to know the symptoms. But when we were developing it, and people were like, "Okay, well, great," so people know the Four Ts. Go, and it was go see your doctor was the advice. I'm like, that's not enough. You have to go see your doctor and actually specifically say, "Can you please, please check me for type yeah. one diabetes?" Because mm. It's often that people might have known the symptoms but they go to the GP and the GP, because the person might be a bit older, isn't thinking type 1 diabetes so they're not going to automatically check for that. And so the advice was know the symptoms and go to your doctor and ask your GP about this.
0: That particular condition.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yep. Let's um, bust some other myths oh, while yeah. we're on it. Okay, can I, can go I
1: for jump it. Jump in and ask yeah. a question because I was curious when you were talking about the things that impact glucose level. And mm-hmm. as you were mentioning, and I was thinking, oh, of course, menstrual cycle when we go through menopause, yes. that's going to have a big impact. So, with that in mind, and some of the research that's happened recently in the cardiovascular space where they've realized all the clinical trials have contained mostly men. So, we know how to treat men who have heart attacks really well, but we don't really know about women. Mm -hmm. Is that similar in type 1 diabetes where we have a good knowledge base of, or the clinical trials have tested therapies in men predominantly, not so much women? It's really interesting. If you
2: Google diabetes and sexual health, you will get a lot about erectile dysfunction. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot about erectile dysfunction. Yep. We talk about that as one of the main diabetes-related complications in men. Yeah, there's very little about women and sexual health. And so when you're talking about things like menopause and menstruation, but especially menopause, there is so little research, so little research in that area. So that's where we're seeing that there are some real discrepancies about, you know, where is this? And as is often the case in when you have segments of a health community that's very active and very motivated, what we're seeing is that there are a lot of women of a certain age who have either been through menopause, going through it, perimenopausal, thinking about it, saying, hey, chop, chop, where's my information about this? Yeah. And I was at a conference earlier this year and I was chairing a symposium and we had this brilliant woman with type 1 diabetes who's also a midwife and a researcher and she gave this great talk about diabetes and menopause and i said to her, i said Dawn, 25 years ago i started working in di- a little less than 25 years ago started working in diabetes organisations and i had women ringing me saying where's your information about diabetes and pregnancy type 1 diabetes and pregnancy and we didn't have yeah. any we had this really boring stuff that was just just very much not developed by and with the community right yep. and so we did that we wrote yeah. this book can i have a healthy baby it's in it's like about It's i don't know You know, 15th edition now, but it was, you know, all done by speaking with women with diabetes. And I'm like, okay, so I'm hearing a lot going on right now, people asking about diabetes and menopause is this the same people who 25 years ago were saying, yeah. where's the stuff on diabetes pregnancy? And are we having to do this again yeah. Yeah. now? Yeah. And she's yeah. like, yeah, quite pretty
0: much, yeah. Quite yeah. possibly, yeah. 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 So let's talk about sex. Okay. Uh, much more interesting than busting myths. So <laughs> I would actually... Oh, really? Myths about sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on myth. It's on myth. Okay. So, yes, on that, yeah. I would actually argue there needs to be so much more research in menopause anyway. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. And, and yep. then, of course menopause in women who have autoimmune diseases. Yes. Because as you say, all these hormonal changes affect what goes on. And so bearing it amongst, you know, you're a bit tired, just have a rest, or, you know, every woman goes through this, you'll be fine, all those ridiculous things that we're told. Mm. Yeah, there needs to be a lot more research. And they probably are those advocates who got their act together and had to, you know, force people to write good publications 25 years ago. Let's hope we can get some good research out of this yeah, and some good treatments.
2: I remember the day, so I was diagnosed on the 15th of April and the endocrinologist gave me a choice and said, you can have an injection now, I'm going to give you a shot of insulin and you can go home and come back tomorrow for a whole day with us or we can put you in hospital. I'm like, you're not putting me in hospital, give me my insulin. And then the next day we went and saw him again and then met with a diabetes educator who was going to tell me and teach me lots of things and a dietitian, and that traumatized me and it's still why I have problems. I have trust no, issues. I still remember that. <laughs> why I still I can have can trust still issues with dietitians. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in this session with a diabetes educator who was she was lovely and my fiance was there. Mm-hmm. So he's been with me every step of the way with my diabetes. And I'm pretty, I think, mum, you were there as well. Yeah. At this time. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just, <laughs> just put a bit of context about this. Italian family, you know, there are very few boundaries. And Easy also I like, <laughs> yeah, and eating is life, and mum was out. And I'd moved back home that year. So maybe moving home gave oh, me diabetes. Oh, <laughs> oh we found, oh, it. No, we found no, we the <laughs> oh, oh, no. Anyway, I don't um, think um, a, a flat No, <laughs> no. I mean, dad, like it could have been. Right. It could have been Dad. <laughs>
1: anyway.
2: Yeah, <laughs> He's not here, so it's okay. He's not here. Yeah. <laughs> and he also could say, I don't have any autoimmune conditions, blame mm. your mother. But anyway, yeah, not but the that's point. probably true too. <laughs> I <I'd> moved back <laughs> home because my husband and I were saving money to buy a house. So the family was more around, had been for some time, I guess. But the diabetes educator, who was lovely and delightful, she said, exercise might impact your glucose levels. Remember, sex is exercise, so have a sandwich before you have sex. <laughs> that was disgusting. Do remember this? <laughs> and I swear, like, I just, nah, like, the concept of... Uh-huh. <laughs> A my like like sorry, darling. Sorry, just wait darling. a minute. I've just gotta <laughs> okay. go and make a oh, BLT God. and we'll have that and I just kinda of think about this because I talk about this often in, you know, with with groups of people with diabetes. I'm like, why didn't she suggest like chocolate? Paint. paint or yes, like body paint yes, or yes, something. Yes, like something. Yes. Anyway, I just, like just oh, something other hilarious. than go and make oh, my a sandwich, <laughs> which can you imagine a less sexy idea than I'm going to make a chicken sambo and have yeah. that on the bedside yeah. table yes, beforehand.
0: Yes, I Do can't think know? of anything less sexy. Right. I also like to know I don't think it's exercise for everybody. <laughs>
2: That's a consent issue in there that we no,
0: probably no, should also talk about. about. But, but no, or no, we'll just, we'll just lie there, there. Yeah, yeah. and think yeah, of exactly. English. Exactly, yeah. 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 So if yeah, you had you your sandwich, so, sandwich so, and you lie there yeah. and yeah. think of English. Then you wind yeah, up yeah, with your kind. Yeah. 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 But
2: never had anybody say anything else. And then I remember, though, you know – I was 24, right? So I had had sex before diabetes and mum, yeah, I, no, I didn't have sex oh, no, <laughs> man, I didn't until I got married. Like, that's fine. I mean, I waited till I got married.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Italian family. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I'd had sex before diabetes and after diabetes. So I knew there was a difference. Mm-hmm. And I would say that. I would say I'm noticing there's a difference. There's a lubrication difference. There's a water. Because when your blood sugars are high, mm-hmm. absolutely. And doctors would just look stare blankly at mm-hmm. me. And I will say, and I hate to think, you know, but the reality here was, is at this point in time, the endocrinologists that I was seeing were men and they would say, well, no. Mm-hmm. Not to them. No. Goodness. there's, You know, isn't your right? diabetes, well, they wouldn't say no. They would say your diabetes isn't the reason behind it. Mm-hmm. And yet you put a room full of women with diabetes yeah. together and a glass of wine in your hand yeah. and what would women say yeah. is, God, sex is different. Yeah. Or have you noticed that you might be a bit dry? Like mm. is it, and... We would all sit there and go, yeah, 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 and that's where we would have these conversations, and that's where we would say, yes. So here are the tips that I've learned. Yeah, and I kind of wish that they were the conversations that we were having because this is what's going to happen. Even if it was just a conversation of, you might notice that there are some things about sex that, but
0: also for a male doctor to dispute that you would, yeah. What you were saying yes. was incorrect. Yes. I mean, you should have said, Well, how would you know, mate? Yeah. You're, you're, know, not mate? There. you're not,
2: not there. You're not, you're not making me my sandwich. <laughs> exactly. um, so, yeah, one of the things that I have had well, I think it's the, like, I've been really lucky to do this. I don't know that the students would say that. But I speak to first-year med students, often in their first week of being baby doctors or, or, you know, going through their training. And I always say, I'm Renza. I've got type 1 diabetes, and I'm your nightmare patient. Mm -hmm. Because I know more about diabetes than you do, and I'll tell you that. (laughs) I will tell them stories about, you know, these are the things that I've learned that I really wish a health professional had said to me. And often it's because I've heard them from other people and they've made my stories make sense. Mm. I mean, there's this in- remarkable diabetes educator in Australia, in Melbourne, who lives with type 1. And when I was running events about type 1 diabetes, she would always be the one we'd get to talk because she would say, here's the bit I have to tell you, here's the reality. Yeah. And having that was such power. Oh, yeah. It was such yeah. power. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So you've yeah. given us so many tie-ins there. Mm. We've talked about being dismissed about whatever we say that, that's not on. You talked about the dietitian and the sandwich. Great advice. We're that all... wasn't the dietitian. Oh, that, was that, that, was that, that wasn't
2: that was diabetes educated. Oh, That my wasn't why. The, okay. I have trust
0: issues with dietitians. Okay. It's different. I do want to go back to the dietitian <laughs> yes. in a second. <laughs> yes, and um, yeah, lived experience. Speak to mm. people who have have it, and they've done done it all. You know, the pregnancy, the childbirth, the sex, the everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And may not be the same experience, but at least it will be data yeah. to think, yeah. oh, actually, maybe that has happened or yeah. maybe that's my cousin's situation or something like that. The other thing is with the dieticians, and, you know, some of them are lovely. Amazing. Awesome. The What I've often come across is the regimentation, telling a 12-year-old girl or a 19-year-old boy, this is what you need to eat forever. Yeah. yeah. Nobody
3: can do that.
0: No, nobody yes. can have the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single time.
3: I remember the dietitian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember the rice portions. And yeah, you yeah. literally died, you said, I can't eat that much rice. She said, You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Remember? She said, You have to eat that rice, that amount of rice. I
2: do. And I remember that she showed me. Remember plastic, she had those plastic, plastic. Mo- those rubber molds <laughs> that, and and she put it down. I'm like, that looks like one of those vomit things you yeah, get out, yeah. of a, <laughs> out of a show bag. <laughs> and she was like, no, that's the amount of rice or mashed potatoes. And I'm like uh-huh. in a week, and she said no, each meal. And I said uh-huh. okay, well I don't eat that much. Can't I just take less insulin? And she said because that made sense because yeah, yeah. that's not how it works. So within a week, I'd worked out how to take less insulin yes. because I didn't yeah, want yeah. to eat yeah. the massive portion because it's just not what
0: I would eat but, normally. But when in the world has being forced to eat anything, ABC, yeah, yeah, anything yeah. in certain quantities worked? Yes. Yes. No, it never ever has. No, yeah, and
2: look. I will say in her defense, it was a different type of insulin that I had then. So Mm -hmm. we were in a lot of ways eating to feed our insulin, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, I went on a pump after only a couple of years because I wanted more freedom and to have more spontaneity and not it's 7am I have to eat. I mean, really, I went on a pump so I could sleep in on a Saturday morning and I'm still on one 22 years later. And But sadly, even with better insulins these days and more flexibility and brilliant programs like Daphne, Dose Adjustment for Normal Eating, people are still told things need to be a lot more regimented than they necessarily mm-hmm. do be. Find yourself a health professional who understands that With diabetes is never going to be the most important thing in your life. No, yeah. common
0: sense. Yep. Yeah. Ada, can we change direction slightly? How do you feel about Renza having type 1 diabetes?
3: I suppose at the, when she was first diagnosed, a few weeks after, I was devastated for her, not for myself. And I always had a brave face. And when Enza said she was offered the option, and I said to her, I'll get up every two hours and, and help you check your insulin so, or your sugar levels, so you don't have to go into a hospital. I didn't feel it was my fault. Oh, that's good but I think I probably felt that it wasn't my fault, but with me with my medical background that I may have contributed mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. But I've just felt really sorry for her. And I don't think that we knew the extent of what living with it for you know, sort of right through your life. Because when you've got something even like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, you do have times when you're in remission or you feel better. Whereas with something like, well, mainly with diabetes, you never get a break. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life. And I think that I realise that maybe not to the full extent, but I did realise and I felt very sorry for it. And mm-hmm. she was very young and she was just about to get married and all the rest of it. And I, I just felt that it was just an awful situation. But she did brilliantly right from the beginning, except for one very short period. And I've always thought that she's amazing. She is amazing, but that, yeah. that was
0: beautifully put. Yes.
3: I just felt very sad. Yeah. Very sad for yeah. Danza. Mm. Not, not for myself because, I mean, we're just there to help yeah. her if she needs help, but, you know, she's, you know, weathered it herself. Yeah. She's, yeah. Very yeah, she's been fabulous. This is the yeah. first
0: I've heard of the naughty patch. What, what oh, did she it, what what did No, she do? it
2: wasn't a naughty patch. I just had a period where I was really unwell and oh. I had a lot of gut problems that were all connected but weren't connected and it was just, and we also don't have naughty patches. What are we talking about? <laughs> oh my God, I did I say normal? No, you though, didn't. But. Karen did. Oh. Oh, okay. Karen. oh, I didn't think that Language yeah. matters. No, 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 language
0: does matter, but I thought you, like, you went off the road. and you know, oh, no, no. No. Joined oh, a just, rock band or something. Yes, well, jazz band. Great. the jazz musician. <laughs> <position. laughs> the devil's
2: music. Just had this period. I really struggled and significant, you know, really impacted my mental health. And it hurt to eat because my stomach was so messed up. I lost so much weight. I've always had weird body image issues. It probably was all feeding into that as well. And there was like, there was a lot going on. And this was probably, I don't know, maybe four years or so after diagnosis. And because by that stage, I had a brilliant endocrinologist. In fact, I just started seeing my brilliant endocrinologist actually at that time, which is probably why and this period... She diagnosed
3: she did. what it was, yeah. But
2: also... If I hadn't started seeing her or someone like her, what was this short, really intense, horrible period? A lot of time in hospital and Mm -hmm. would have been a longer period, I suspect. Because the first thing I think she said to me was... Basically, yeah, we can't deal with diabetes yet. We've mm-hmm. got to deal with a lot of other things first. And she referred me to a psychiatrist. It was the first thing, pretty much the first thing she did. And I think now at the time, I probably thought she was handballing a little bit. But actually, what she was doing was say, and she knew there was no way that we could deal with diabetes until I understood and worked through how I was feeling. And I saw this incredible psychiatrist and the first thing, and I did see a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. I've gone on to have a psychologist Mm -hmm, as part of my mm -hmm. multidisciplinary team, but she knew at that time I really need to see a psychiatrist. And I didn't need to take any meds, but I think that we just wanted to make sure that that option was available if I needed to. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, you know, it's okay to grieve your life beforehand. And Mm -hmm. that was, I felt a like this weight lifted because we get this message of diabetes doesn't need to stop you. Mm -hmm. And off you, you know, like Mm -hmm. your life is going to be normal. and It's not. It's not. And, you know, it was a long time after that I had this conversation with um, Stephen Colaguri, who is a very well-respected diabetes endocrinologist in Australia, well-regarded globally, and I was at a dinner with him. And he said, you know, one of the worst things we did 30 years ago was tell people with diabetes that their lives could be normal Mm -hmm. because it's not. And he looked at me and he said to me, he said, why am I talking? Talk Mm. to me about this, Mm. which, you know, another reason I adore him is because, you know, he understands the lived experience here. And I said, well, you're right. Like acting like a part of an organ that's decided to go AWOL is not normal. Like stabbing mm. myself to check my glucose Mm. levels is not normal. Mm. Having to dose insulin is not normal it's a new normal maybe, I don't know, but just undermining the impact that it can have, the jolt that it gives you in your life, we should actually have conversations about that. And again, I get that we don't want people to suddenly feel like they have to completely change course with their life or whatever, but giving some context around how it does impact and what it does mean, I think is really important. And I also think that because diabetes is often diagnosed in kids, parents have this thing of, I don't want my kid to be defined by their diabetes and no one has to be. Mm -hmm. But gosh, you know, my dear friend, Kerry Sparling, who's an amazing advocate from the UK, used to have a blog and the title, of the sort of line on the blog was, diabetes doesn't define me, but it helps explain me. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it does. It Mm -hmm. explains so much about the way that we feel and the things that we need to do. And so having that psychiatrist give me this, permission almost and mm. you can grieve mm. and it doesn't mean your life now is going to be crap yeah. it doesn't mean that it just means that it might be different mm-hmm. and that's okay. okay and that helped so much with a lot of how I was feeling and I think a lot of the gut stuff was like while there was certainly gut stuff there was also yes, a lot a of lot that, that was, was yeah. how that was you know what, yeah. what my emotional health yeah, was sure you know, what I was dealing with the stress and everything and yeah, yeah so that was the We're not going to call it the naughty period. The the, extra challenging period. Extra
0: challenging period. Yeah. That's better. Yeah. 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 That's better. (laughs) Okay. From now on, it will be called the extra challenging period. I apologize. Yeah. So, Renzo, we talked about your baking. Art is a brilliant baker. You're a brilliant baker. What are some funny things people have said over the years about your ability (laughs) to bake?
2: Uh Yeah. So, people will often say, oh, it's really interesting that someone with diabetes likes baking. Or should you be eating that? Is oh, the yeah. Is, I love yeah, that. yeah, or like what do you do with all the food that you make? I'm like, I, I feed it to the birds. What do you think I do with <laughs> I it? I it out the
0: kitchen window. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I
2: bake the pie and then chuck it out the window. I mean, admittedly, I do bake a lot, so the neighbours get lots of it. Yes. But, yes, mum's a brilliant cook and a, always, always a true, yes, and a fabulous baker. And it is a De-stressing sort well, of I thing. I find it. Yeah, like yeah. It, and know, also, definitely. yeah, you know, there's that whole thing around procrastinating. You know, mm-hmm. like I really should be doing something else. I've got so much on today. Oh, let's make some cookies. But yeah, I, look, people who know me, people only say it to me once. Should you be mm-hmm. eating that? They mm-hmm. know never to say it again <laughs> after well, they said it once. That. <laughs>
0: You've gotten <laughs> rid of them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's around people's lack of understanding about sugar, isn't it? Yes. They think type 1 diabetics got it from having sugar. They think everyone with diabetes got it from having sugar. Yeah, and, and therefore yeah. they should never have sugar
2: again. And you should never eat, eat anything. Which would make them dead. Well, yes, because
3: yes. <laughs> you um, need sugar in. Well, you know,
2: no. <laughs> the, the jelly beans habit for when my blood sugars low is low, you know, there are times where sugar is absolutely essential. But Firstly, number one, why are we even commenting yes. and mm-hmm. suggesting that we have the right to mm. tell people what they can mm. and can't eat or yep. ask them about, like, just stop doing that. Don't do that. Mm. It's not of anyone's business what I am choosing to eat or to not eat. I think it goes both ways. You know I mean? I think, you know, there are people who manage their type or part of their type 1 diabetes management is that they choose to not eat carbs. They mm-hmm. choose to eat low carb or keto or be carnivores or whatever. And again, that's none of my business if they choose to do that. Yep.
0: But equally, it's none of their business if I don't choose to follow that Absolutely. eating plan. Yeah. yeah. And I've uh, also met people who run marathons? Who have type one day diabetes? And good on them. Good yeah. on them. It, yeah. It's their life. Yeah. They they know the risks. They know yes. how to manage their own how lives. Yeah. It's none of our business, as you're saying.
2: I've got lots of friends with diabetes who are those crazy. Like they exercise. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that.
0: I find a <laughs> <the> moral <laughs>
2: objection to exercise. Uh-huh. I don't like it, but good on them yeah. for doing it. Just don't tell me that I have to. And yes. when I, can I just say I do walk? Like I like walking, but
0: I'm not running marathons. No. No. Well, most of us aren't, thank goodness. <laughs> it looks pretty hard to me. So, complications. There mm. are complications to all four autoimmune d- diseases that we've been talking about. Can okay. we talk
3: a little bit about those? I, I, yeah, I think that with lupus especially, the tiredness is really something that you really need to either cope with or you need to cope with it regardless. Okay. You need to cope with it but I suppose that also you need to know when to say that you've had enough and that you need to take a break from it. Because I used to just push myself through and go into work. I've worked all, right through my whole life, basically. And I used to go into work some days when I shouldn't have gone mm, into work. Yeah. And it was my rheumatologist that's the guy that sort of we're talking about permission, that gave me permission. She said, Look, some days your body will just tell you that you need to stay in bed and you should stay in bed. And that was really difficult for me to do because I think that we were always brought up, unless you're nearly dying, and soldiering on was a big thing. Now since COVID, they don't want you in anywhere near anyone else, even if you sneeze twice. But you know, years ago, you'd be nearly dying and your manager would ring you up and say, well, why aren't yes. you at work? You've only got the flu. Just yeah. can't get him to work. So I think I found it really difficult to listen to my body. Mm-hmm. And I think the tiredness is one of the main complications. And that actually brings on a lot of other symptoms as well, like all your, your joints ache. And you really don't even realise that it's happening. You mm-hmm. just go on complications, you can actually have major organ involvement, which I haven't had, which I think i am been very fortunate. But with lupus, I think I got it a bit older than a lot of people do get lupus when they're sort of older teenagers, like sort of closer to 20. And even over the years when they're uh, thinking about having children and things like that, they have a much harder time. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I sort of um, already had my two kids and I wasn't going to have any more, I think that that made it a bit easier mm-hmm. for me. Me, but I can understand that it'd be a lot more difficult for people that are still planning families and things yeah. like that. But yeah, I think that that's one of the main things, but with complications, I can't really think of anything sure. else. You know.
2: Thank you. Diabetes-related complications are always a hot topic. I can still remember the day I was diagnosed, how they were presented to me. He was lovely <laughs> that oh, end but God, he was just... Oh, it's really like I think back and I think so much of me dealing with diabetes was messed up by the day I was diagnosed. You know, brought out some really lovely graphic pictures to mm, show me. Oh, my goodness. Which made no sense, I will just say, because I didn't know diabetes, right? I didn't know what diabetes was. So showing me somebody with an amputation or like an eye with, Mm. you know, retinopathy or somebody receiving dialysis because their kidneys had failed or somebody having a heart attack Mm. I just looked at these pictures and they scared the crap out of me. But the message that he gave me was, if you do what I tell you, if you're compliant, (gasps) that's a great word. I love that word. Uh, None of these bad things will happen and if they do, it's your fault. Yeah. So… It just made me so scared to talk about diabetes-related complications. So, I'm 25 years in, again, and touch wood every single wear it place around me. Why is this just not Timber? Oh, sorry. It's um, Yeah, let's just pretend it's <laughs> to touch wood. I haven't been diagnosed with any diabetes-related complications, but they are a reality for so many people. And yeah. if only we spoke about it in a way that it wasn't seen as a personal failure or something that you brought on yourself, mm. I think we would be having much better discussions about yep. it. Because they are very real and we also talk about them in a way that uses data that doesn't look at newer technologies right. and newer treatments mm-hmm. and the fact that people are living longer with diabetes and all of these sorts of things. We talk about them like they're an endpoint. Let's do everything mm. we can to prevent them. We mm-hmm. must prevent them without actually, there are so many people living lives with diabetes yes. complications. Can we hear from them, please? Yes. Um, yes. Because
0: that would be really, really useful. And I know with young people that I have met, when they've been advised to get their eyes checked often because you can develop eye problems with type 1 diabetes. They thought, oh, great, I'll just never get my eyes checked. Yes. So by putting fear into people, we're not helping the situation.
2: No, No. No. But we can do it in a way that we talk about this as care rather Mm. than as anything else, right? So if instead of being told 80% of people with diabetes, diabetes is the leading form of blah, 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 all these things that make me just want to bury my head in the sand because why would I want to talk about them? Instead, if we spoke about, hey, we know that people living with diabetes might be at an increased risk of these things, let's talk about how we can reduce that risk. We can't guarantee anything, but we can reduce risk risk Mm. and hey also if you are diagnosed with something that's okay because there are lots of things that can be done about it so diabetes complication screenings should not be something that people feel afraid of Mm -hmm. but of course they are because with everything else is the blame and the shame that we feel that is going to come our way which has never
0: helped anyone
2: never
1: yeah Yeah. that's really yeah really interesting because again coming back to language yeah I started thinking of the terminology glucose control. Oh, and yeah. so that word control about and you're responsible for controlling your glucose yeah. levels. Mm. So therefore, if they're yeah. uncontrolled and you develop these complications, you've only got yourself to blame. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 And
3: unfortunately, rather than blaming people if they don't get regular checkups, they sort of gave them the options of what would happen when they don't, rather than saying it's your fault, right? Mm-hmm. Say, look, this could happen. I know that with in my case, and I keep saying I don't have complications, but I suppose I don't know whether this is a complication or not. I was on long-term cortisone, which caused osteoporosis. So, I mean, and I get everything checked. And a lot of the medication that you're on with rheumatoid arthritis or with lupus can affect your, your eyes, eyes. Mm-hmm. and we're going back to the eyes I'm on yeah. mm-hmm. which, uh, can and I have my eyes checked every six months but if you don't because it's the back of your eye that can get affected and you don't realise mm-hmm. usually until it's too late but that was explained to me properly by my mm-hmm. rheumatologist so I have no problem with going and getting my eyes checked every six months mm-hmm. but if she said if you don't get your eyes checked you're going to go blind well you don't believe that you're going to go blind ever mm, anyhow but you also so, don't go to your blind.
0: well you don't get it checked either, out yeah.
3: but I sort of thought well you know that's a preventative thing. Mm. I can do that. Mm. And if it's put in that way, I think you're more likely to get it checked out rather than if you're told that all this calamity is going to happen and it's going to be your fault. I think that that is a different way. And it is back to language, I suppose, as well.
2: Oh, so much is. And also, I mean, what's the point of talking about what's happened in the past? Like, Mm. if you go to an eye, uh, you know, if you've noticed, because often this is what will happen, is people haven't been going to their eye appointments for whatever reason. But actually, when they do show up, Firstly, when anybody shows up to any medical appointment, honestly, the first thing that should be acknowledged is, this is so great you're here, right? This is really great you're here. And I know that I don't miss my eye screenings now. I go every year, even though I hate it. Love yeah. my ophthalmologist. I would just say he's a bit dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> you have the same ophthalmologist. Yes, I do. He just give a, us his
0: number. For no, we, call <laughs> <us>. we can't. <laughs> but oh, we will just oh, say don't you. he's <laughs> a treat <laughs> to look at. Though I will say well, that. Well, like you've got good vision. <laughs> exactly, but also <laughs>
2: he knows how much. I hate these appointments so mm-hmm. much. He mocks me mercilessly, but in a way that is endearing. Mm-hmm. Like he's not in any way making fun of me, but he just. You know, he thinks that I'm a bit of an idiot, and I am. But he's so lovely about it. But, like, if I didn't go and suddenly I had some retinopathy, his response would never been, well, if you'd been showing yeah. up, mm. yes. we could have done something yes. about this. Because what's the point of that? Yes. It would be, okay, well, you're here. here. This yeah. is awesome. Yes. Uh-huh. We've now got something to work with. Then let's talk about what that's going to look like. And, gosh, that's a different conversation really to is. a wrap over it's the knuckles, the knuckles, knuckles isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I, hope, I hope medicine's improving over time oh, to give... Better messages to people. Mm. Yeah. Slightly different topic, but pretty much related. Family dynamics. Yeah. So no two families are the same. No two, no two families are sane. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can use yeah. it if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It makes a big difference, doesn't it?
2: It does. Yeah. It does. So, you know, gosh, I got to hate talking about things as if they're gendered, but I'm going to just for a minute because, and again, this is my experience, is that, so my dad is quite awesome, but he likes to think he can fix things Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he also thinks that mum and I are sick because Mm -hmm. we have these conditions, whereas mum and I just happen to think we live with these conditions, right? But he likes to fix things. So I always, like, there's a lot of times where I just don't mention to him that I'm having, or that I've had a pretty crappy hypo, Mm -hmm. low blood sugar, because his response is, have you spoken to your doctor about that? Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) like, seriously, I love my endocrinology. I know my kid after my endo, and I think she really quite likes me as well, but if I was ringing her every time I had a hypo, (laughs) she would have fired me by
3: now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to share my cup of tea theory, because this is what my husband does. Because when I was first diagnosed, I think he felt a little bit like when I was having a bad diabetes day, he wanted to fix it. Mm -hmm. The thing about diabetes is there's no fixing diabetes. So he has learned that this is what he needs to do when I am having a lousy diabetes day. That's my stomach rumbling. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, was, that was impressive. Yeah. Have you had lunch? The microphone picked no, it up. I had breakfast. Light. Anyway, so my husband's cup of tea theory, my cup of tea theory is what my husband does because I know that this works, is that he can't fix my diabetes. But what I need him to do and what he does so well is to recognize that diabetes sucks. And he will say that. He'll go, gosh, diabetes sucks. I'm like, yes, it does. And then he'll say, do you want a cup of tea? And sometimes he doesn't even ask. He just brings me a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a Tim Tam. Mm-hmm. So all of you who want to judge me, knock yourselves out. But I give myself insulin for it. It's all good. And that's all I need. Yeah. I just need someone to recognize that yep. they can't fix it. It's not theirs to fix. Mm-hmm. But it is lousy and have mm-hmm. a cup of tea. Yeah.
0: And or even if you don't touch the cup of tea. It's kept it's him busy there. for a few minutes. It has. He's helping. Yes. You, even if it just sits there.
2: Absolutely. But I remember having this conversation with some mates who have diabetes who just thought that this was hilarious. And one of them said, so what? You just, you don't want help? You don't want help. Is that what you're saying? And I said, I don't need help because you can't fix diabetes. Mm -hmm. And my friend, Bastian, and I'm totally naming, I've written a blog about this because you know I'm totally naming and shaming him around this. He said, Right, so if I was driving down the highway and I saw that you had a flat tire, I wouldn't stop to help. I'd drive and get you a cup of tea and bring it back. And I said, Good, that would be lovely, because I can change a tire, so that would be great. And afterwards, I would want a cup of tea afterwards. So thank you for doing that. But and there was another friend who was also on Bastion's side, my friend Amin, and he said to me a number of years later. You know, you're so right. I get that. I actually Mm -hmm. get that now. And now when he knows that I'm having a bad day, probably because I wrote about it, he will send me an an image, a a photo of a a cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) And he's not doing it, mocking me.
0: And your papa's much the same. He tries to fix
2: it. He tries to fix it. Yeah. But but, So diabetes, I think, though, is one of those things that in particular has a lot... Because there's so much around it, and I have said that diabetes is diagnosed at any age, you know, but there are kids who are diagnosed with it. So parents play a leading role in caregiving for a long time. Thank God. Thank God. And so first I'm going to say I've been told to stay in my lane because my child doesn't have diabetes, so I don't know what it's like. But I do know what it's like to be a person with diabetes. And as a person with diabetes, I don't want somebody owning my condition or thinking that they do. And I think that it's a really tricky thing for parents to understand Where is that line of supporting and being an advocate for your child, but also overstepping in a way that it becomes about themselves? Mm. And that, I think, can be an issue at times. You know, as I said earlier, in type 1 diabetes, we are so lucky that we have continuous glucose monitoring now is subsidized for everyone with type 1 diabetes. And if you're under the age of 20, it's actually there's no cost at the point of collection, which is amazing but gosh, there was a lot of advocacy going on. And some of that I always felt was a bit problematic because one of the things was that we want everyone to have access to this. But what we would be hearing would be parents saying, I don't sleep through the night because I'm afraid my kid's not going to wake up in the morning. And they would be saying that in front of their kids. And I just thought I'd don't in any any way want to minimise what that is like for you Mm -hmm. as a parent of a kid with diabetes and having that fear because, my God, it must be real. But do you have to say
0: it in front of your kid? Because if
2: my parents were saying that, if I'd had diabetes as a kid, I never would have slept
0: again. Well, that's right. You'd be (laughs) terrified, you'd be depressed. And guilty. You you wouldn't be guilty. And guilty. You wouldn't be achieving at school because you're exhausted and you're going to die anyway, so what's the point? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah.
2: But also... We need to talk about, I think, the consent of talking about your kids' conditions or your loved one in any way because you don't have that right unless they've given it to you. And I would feel really uncomfortable if my mum or if my husband was putting stories up about, you know, crappy diabetes moments, Mm. taking photos of me in a really vulnerable stage when I was low and putting it online to share, this is the reality of Mm. my kids' life with diabetes. Does your what kid. I have be, to cope with. Yeah. yeah. Or even yeah. what yeah. my kid has to cope with. Yeah. I remember somebody doing that a number of years ago. a, a parent taking a photo of a kid having a hypo, you know, they'll travel they tra- they'd gone to New York and this kid was having a really crappy it passed out on a subway station. Oh, yeah. And the diabetes community response was incredible because you had adults with diabetes saying, take that down right now. Yeah. (laughs) Take that down right now. I think they may have filmed it actually, but a number of parents saying, I'm raising awareness. And it's like this is your kid's reality and life and you're putting it out there for their friends to see, for future employers to see, for future college admissions Uh, people to see, whatever, future partners, whatever.
0: Take it down now.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, No consent. No consent.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And that's tricky. Yeah, I think that with family dynamics, it's also, it's not only the family around you, it's the way you feel yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, like I'm the type that would just, I don't need help. I just want to get on with my own thing. And then people coming around and sort of fussing around you, that really annoys me, to tell you the truth. Because I feel as though that's a control thing. Mm -hmm. And it's also more about them. them. Yes. Yes. Which is where it should be. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, I think that we were brought up that you soldiered on and for me to actually admit that I'm sick means that I'm giving in and I don't want to give yeah, in.
0: But you might well need peace and quiet. and, Ex- and That's what I like. You're yeah. right,
3: absolutely right. I like the peace and quiet for me to deal with it in my own time so I can get a bit narky when someone wants to help me. So, you know, sometimes I need to sort of step back from where I am and think, you know, they are trying to help, but I wish they wouldn't. Yes. But I think...
2: You know, it's really interesting in our family when you are having a flare-up and so there are four of us. There's mum, dad and me and my younger sister and my reaction to you having a flare-up is, this sucks, do you need anything? Whereas I think, think, yeah, dad and and Tonya are are like, like, why won't you go and see her doctor? Why won't Mm. she do this? And can you maybe talk to her? And I'm like, no, not my job too. Mm. It's not my job too. And I think we have an understanding because we know what this is like, because yes. it's living in our bodies, and we're, and we're trying, trying to of. just get on with things. And yeah. there's no malice or no, it's not, it's it's not. just mm. trying to help, trying to help. Yeah. But yeah. I, wish, I they wish they would help, they would
3: help us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that when right. you from and said you've had a really bad night, you've had a hypo during the night, I said, oh, that's shit. Yeah, sorry, my liver. I can't take her anywhere. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I know. I say, Are you You're okay right? now? And, she, and if she says yes, then we move yeah. on to the next yeah. topic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, if she wants an all right, tell them. Yeah. Now, if she, you know, if she doesn't want to talk about it, that's fine. Mm. Yeah. 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 yeah, Excellent.
0: <laughs> that's good. First swear word for that podcast.
3: And it and came from mum. She, yeah. she grew up in yeah. Yeah. Fitzroy. A grown lady. She grew up in Fitzroy. That explains it. <laughs> Not Fitzroy now, Fitzroy over the 50s, which wasn't so good. We got that.
0: Let's talk about the future. We have heard a bit about Josh and Julie's amazing research. Um, the clinical trial will be brilliant. It's just incredible in the far future. What would you like in the near future? Firstly, thank goodness for Josh and
2: Julie. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I, I mean, uh, gosh, I wish that we were able to talk about research in a way that people understood that research is a story of hope, right? I mean, So in type 1 diabetes, insulin was discovered just over 100 years ago. We had massive celebrations around the discovery of insulin and it being brought to market and people having access. Sadly, not everyone has access still. But that story of research is one that should actually be why people want to learn about research, participate in research, donate to research, elevate the cause of research. So I guess for me, what I want to see now is there being real involvement in the community when we come to talking when we're talking about research mm-hmm. because I think that, you know, we have a role to play in it. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that co-design, co-development, everything is really, really important.
1: And I think that's one of the things that's been really insightful for me, listening to you speak and the other patients, call them patients, people, <laughs> <laughs> Language. Okay. Yeah. Language yeah. other people that we have spoken with is the perspective and experience you bring almost, I don't know, it almost outweighs what we learn from reading and doing the experiments in the lab. For me, it becomes very easy to think about okay, this is a biochemical process. This is what's happening. You're not making insulin, so X, Y, and Z. And it becomes like a picture or a pattern. And you can lose sight that this is actually a person's lived experience. Yeah. 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 And that there's more than just fixing whatever's going on in the body that you do yeah. need to think about, like fatigue is a big one. And I don't Perhaps, think yeah. it's not until recently that when people have done clinical trials in lupus, for example, that they've yes. actually measured
3: yes. fatigue. Because yes. yeah. that's I, not
1: important from a clinical perspective. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And it's hard to explain fatigue. Because mm. I think fatigue's different to different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, fatigue mm-hmm. might be just because you've had a really busy day and it's the end of the day. Uh, fatigue from an illness is all-encompassing, yeah. like everything aches, you know, you can't. I can imagine people with chronic fatigue, you know, where they can't get out of bed at mm. all. I can, You know, it's mm-hmm. almost that sort of yeah. fatigue. But I was really impressed when, I know that this is uh, autoimmune diseases, but the Sjogren's was included because it's, there's very, very little research into Sjogren's. And that's what the doctors keep telling me, like, you know, even as far as medication goes, there's very little that they know that actually really works for Sjogren's.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly. Um,
3: lupus, the study that I was part of at Monash, I think it was over 20 years ago, and that was really about lupus. And it's just that the um, researcher did look at, the, at my blood test and said, there's Sjogren's, but I'd never even heard. Of what Sjogren's was Mm. until then. And she was right where she said it was going to be the main disease and that lupus was going to be the secondary disease. And she could tell that from a blood test uh, or whatever they were testing, which I thought was amazing. But there's very little that comes out. I I look it up online every now and then, but there's very little that comes out about Sjogren's Mm. at
1: all. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I also think though, I don't like telling other people's stories, but here I am telling yours. But one of the things that has happened to you is that one of the therapies that you had for Sjogren's disease is no longer available or it's just on pause at the moment. And because Sjogren's isn't well known, Mm, there isn't this urgency around it. And that's just... That's not it, okay. Why is
3: it on the corset? That's ocular inserts. and right. Because my eyes are so dry, the only things that work, and there is nothing on the market that comes anywhere close to that. I used them for maybe 15 years and they were a godsend, but now my cornea keeps getting infected and everything and ulcerated because of the dryness and we haven't been able to get them in Australia for three years, and I think it's only about two years in America because they were available for a while, but we just couldn't get them. And for about four or five years before that, we used to have to get them in from America because they weren't available. They haven't been available in Australia, I'd say, for eight or nine years, but we could get them in from America till about three years ago. So why is it
2: on hold? There's one manufacturer. Yeah. So the manufacturer during covid Stopped producing yeah, them, because they were making because they were making, making back yeah. to yeah. yeah and is now there's somebody else who is taking over production yeah but they're not doing it yet there hasn't been any sense of urgency around it. Apparently mm. it will be
3: 2024 now, they're saying. Yeah. And the reason that they stopped bringing it into Australia was because they changed the packaging and then they'd have to get proper okay. authorisation yeah. again yeah. Okay. and the government just wasn't interested. And, and my husband did try, he did email and, and contact uh, Canberra, but no-one was really interested. Well, no, and there needs to be a yeah.
0: critical mass of yes. Yes.
3: noise. Yeah. Yes, exactly. exactly. Is
0: there a Shogun Association that you could contact? Uh, there might be. I'll look into it. Yeah, Meanwhile, yeah. anyone can get Viagra. Yeah, but exactly. that's true. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because it's a man. Exactly. Of, I shouldn't say that. Well, no, but it's true. And
1: it's probably cheap to manufacture and, yeah, yeah, yeah. easy to prescribe. Yeah. It's and a money spinner. Yeah. Yeah.
2: There, you know, there are a lot of women in the world who would probably benefit from Viagra, from, <laughs> from female, female Viagra version viagra. of it. So,
0: you know, exactly, where's our yeah. blue pill exactly. or whatever it yeah. would be? Uh, it is, it is blue. I'm told on good authority. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean what, like what, whatever the yeah, whatever, it whatever is. the yeah, yeah. women's version yeah, yeah, of yeah, that yeah, will yeah, be.
0: Yeah. I think I, know, it is I is it? think it might be a cup of tea. A cup of tea and a box oh, and a good is that you oh, a Renza. sandwich a
3: sandwich, <laughs> a sandwich. Yeah.
0: I'm going to turn the machine off now before this gets any crazier Julie thank you for being here as thank usual you Karen. Renza and Arda thank you. if I could give out gold medals you'd get a hundred each because right. you are both amazing and wonderful